Mark sell it and how I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over. He went and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David and his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. Now it was told that Saul told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I now have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave David Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. The word of the Lord. You know, we, we, uh, I, I, you know, we talk about these action movies and if you ever, I when I, when I've watched these guys talk about action movies, they literally have the movie playing on a screen and they will have a, they, they will have a symphony band or group of folks over here. And the guy is watching the video while he's directing the people who are doing the music. And it is really something else because it shows you that these guys are artists in their own right. And these movie makers, these filmmakers, they know how to sculpt a scene. They know how to, how to build the scene. They know how to make the music right and the tempo right. And they know how to bring your heart rate up and bring your heart rate down. They know just exactly what to do. And when we think about this, I want you to think about stress management. Now, if you ever studied stress management, stress management experts, they tell us that you've heard of the fight or flight uh, response. Now, this is a response that is in our bodies, like it or not, it's there. And if you're in danger, you're in distress, you will be either ready to fight for your life or you will be ready to take flight for your life to run away. And it's a great thing that's built into us. There's many, many, I used to do a lecture on this. There's many, many things that happened. There's energy that's released. There's tunnel vision that takes place. It helps you to, to take care of business, if you will, when danger is there. The only problem with the fight or flight response is this. If we keep having this response, if we stay on the alert, I used to always get tickled when I saw the news and it says news alert. And every time you look at the news, it says alert, alert. alert. It's not good to always be on alert. Don't you know that? Well, if we stay always on alert at work, always on alert at home, always on alert at on the highway, uh, the the tech the uh, the, the technical uh, literature says you will do fine for a while. You will rise to the occasion for a while, and then health will deteriorate, performance will deteriorate, and disease will set in, and we will faint, and we will crash. In life, there's normal ebbs and flows. In life, there's adrenaline. In life, there's times to take a relaxation pill. But if you and I are always in the flight or fight response, we're going to faint. 
And many old ministers of yesteryear, they used to call these times when men crash and burn, they call them fainting fits. Have you ever heard that statement, fainting fits? You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon has a book, Lectures to My Students, and he's written a, a uh, one of his lectures is The Minister's Fainting Fits. <laughs> so, so there's actually a, a chapter in his book on the fainting fits of the minister. And the first real fainting fit I think that I ever uh, had was in August of probably 1979. I can remember it really vividly because... I, I didn't think the way people think today about going to college. Um, you know, we think about going to college. Everybody's, you know, a year early. They're already applying. They already know where they're going, what they're trying to do. And, I mean, I was still playing baseball in August of 1979, and uh, I had no clue where I was going to go to college. All I was doing was thinking baseball. And then baseball was over, and all of a sudden I had to figure out, what am I going to do? I don't know where I'm going to go to college. I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought about what my friends were doing. I didn't think about what God wanted me to do. I had a fainting fit. I chose to get a degree in chemistry. <laughs> if you ask my kids, if they ever ask me about chemistry, I go, I don't know. <laughs> I think I made a really, humanly speaking, a very bad decision. I picked chemistry because it was hard. I picked chemistry because I thought it would make me, you know, it, it made me study hard and make me ready for pre-med. And, of course, that's not where I ended. But we have these times where we go through these, you know, we, we make bad decisions. We have these fainting fits. And that's where I think David is in 1 Samuel 27 all the way to chapter 28, verse 2. And we maybe we should have seen it coming because last week, as we said in chapter 26, 19, and 20, remember he said to Saul, he feels this pressure of fleeing out of the land of Israel and being in pagan territory and feeling like he's being told to worship other gods and he doesn't get to public, be in public worship. And maybe we should have seen this coming. David's life has been nothing less than nine chapters of Jason Bourne. David's life has been nothing but hunted, tracked, attacked, almost in Saul's grip, saved by God's providences. He's had adren the adrenaline rush of having Saul's head right beside his hand, holding onto his spear. He's been going and going, and David makes a fantastic statement in chapter 20, 26, verse 24. He says this, Now, Saul, behold, as your life was highly valued in my sight this day, so may my life be highly valued in the sight of the Lord. And may the Lord deliver me from all distress. Now, that is what I would call a mountaintop statement. And then in verse 1 of chapter 27, listen to this. This is a, this is a valley sort of statement. Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hands. That is a reversal. <laughs> what happened? And I would say to you, it's so tempting to be critical of David here, isn't it? Look, David. What did you just say? <laughs> Didn't you just say, may the Lord take care of me in all my distresses, and now you're saying I'm going to die? But before we're too hard on David, maybe we ought to say that David is you and David is me. <laughs> because we've all had our own fainting fits. We've all made bad decisions. And so tonight, let's look at two points. The first point is the reason 
are the reasons for fainting fits. And the second is the remedy for fainting fits. And I give you four reasons for fainting fits, and then we'll look at the remedy. First reason, fainting fits tend to occur immediately after a great victory. (laughs) Have you ever seen one of these uh, football games where the team is just all fired up? They have all the intensity in the first two quarters. It's 35 to nothing. And then the halftime comes along and the team goes out and the the, the intensity has gone and the other team just wants to score a touchdown. And so the other team scores a touchdown. The intensity of the team that scored 35 points is not really there. And then this team scores a touchdown. And these guys go, hey, these guys have scored a touchdown. And then they try to get their oomph going. They try to get the intensity going. And they can't get it going. And the other guys score another touchdown. Well, pretty soon, by the end of the game, it's 42 to 35. And the other team wins 42 points in the second half. Because the first team stopped doing what they were doing in the beginning. And this is... What happens many times when we have this wonderful time, David, he's killed a lion and a bear. He's killed Goliath. He's had victories over the Philistines. He's been saved from Saul. His wife let him down from a window. Saved by the power of God. Remember, the the Spirit of God came on Saul and his men so that they prophesied. They were stopped in their tracks. (laughs) Three times he eluded Saul's spear. And if you remember that time, one of the favorite ones, the favorite one is when, uh, I always like to put it in this terms, uh, Saul got a text message when he was on his way to get David and David was running from him on a mountain. He got a text message and it says, hey, you need to come back and defend the homeland so that you can go back out and go after the flea later. Feel the irony of that. And there was this surge of adrenaline he had as he had Saul under his power two different times. And then all of a sudden, all the rush and all of that is gone. And we hear him, after taking Saul's spear and Saul's water jug, we hear him saying, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. What is going on? This statement that David spoke, he spoke in his own heart, and it's negative propaganda. Negative propaganda that poisoned his thoughts. It came on the heels of a great moment when he said, May the Lord deliver me from the distra- all my distress. David had been on the mountaintop. Everything had been going so well, but now I will perish by the hand of Saul. Behold, fainting fits tend to occur immediately after a great victory. I don't know about you. Maybe you've had a great Lord's Day. Maybe you've had a great time of being at the Lord's table. Maybe you've had a, a great feast, encouragement. At Maybe next week we'll have a fellowship meal and it'll be a great time. Maybe you've been used by the Lord in your in your home or you know you were talking to your granddaughter and you got something through or, or something happened and it was so exhilarating and then all of a sudden you say something like, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul and you faint. It's only natural if we go up the mountain with Jesus. And y'all know that I'm getting this from going up on the, the, the uh, mountain of transfiguration. It's only natural if we go up with Jesus that we come down with Jesus. But it's that coming down with Jesus part that we kind of get stuck sometimes. Because if we go up with Jesus and we have a great and thrilling moment with Jesus, sometimes we want to ride the thrill back down. And we don't come back down with Jesus. We come back arm in arm with the thrill. And the thrill is not enough. Jesus is the one we need to come back down with. And just like the football team that loses the intensity 
we lose our arm-in-arm walk down the hill with Jesus, and then we think we've got this made, and we faint. And so after a victory, after a worship service, after a wonderful time of prayer, after we come down from that with Jesus, we come down, uh, we come down without him. And we, we, uh, we're not on our guard. We imagine we can handle things. And then we fall down. The devil's watching for these times. In just a few chapters, the Amalekites are going to come into David's um, camp, take all the wives, take all the children and all the spoil while David's not there. David is going to watch the Amalekites. And the Amalekites, while they're having a party, having all the spoil, having this great victory, they're going to get drunk, they're going to celebrate, and then David is going to sweep down in there, take all the women back, take all the children back, and take all their things back when they are not ready. And that's what Satan loves to do with us. He likes for us to feel secure, to get off the guard, to enjoy worship, to do something valiantly and to be celebrating, and then he will take an arrow and shoot it and find a joint in our armor and get us, and then we will find ourselves saying, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Well, fainting fits second tend to occur when you feel the weight of responsibility. I think this is easy to overlook. Now, you, maybe you saw that in verses 2 and 3. Did you see the weight of responsibility increasing in David's life? You see, it's not David anymore and 600 bros. It's David and Ahinoam and Abigail. It's David and family. And it's those men have families now. Those men have families. They are marrying. And so now the estimates are that the, the David and Co. goes from, I think I say that Co. because I heard Selah say that one day in her, in her, to me. David and Co. Well, David and Co. goes from 601 to 2000. So there's 2,000 folks with David now. Where do you hide 2,000 people? Where, where do you, uh, how do you feed 2,000 people? I mean, there's so much deprivation. You know, I, I used to, I always tell guys, I say, guys, when we go deer hunting, it is so different when you go deer hunting with guys than if you take your wife. You have to have some help. You have to have some, some things for your wife that men don't have to have. You can go out, you can kill a squirrel, you can eat a squirrel, you can do it at the fire, you can... You can take care of certain business on your own. And, you know, you, we all have things we can do that we don't think about when we're with the guys. But when you have the girls with you, there's things you have to think about. You have to be responsible for these gals and for these families. And David, under the weight of this responsibility, he says, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. <laughs> Fainting fits tend to occur when you feel the weight of responsibility. David says, the best thing I can do is escape to the land of the Philistines, and then Saul won't search for me. Have you ever said that? If I just go here, if I just change jobs, if I just do this, if I just do that, then instant relief. And these are thoughts. These are our thoughts I think everybody's had. I've had these thoughts. Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Well, third, fainting fits tend to occur after prolonged trials. I think this is one of my fa the favorite points of this sermon. How long has David been going through all of this? Do y'all realize he's been running for nine chapters? 
It's not nine days. It's nine. It's long, probably in, in the years. And, you know, action movies, this is what one commentator said this. He says, you know, we watch, we watch movies, what, two hours? And maybe you get some of these really long ones, three hours, 20 minutes, whatever. But generally two hours, full of action, full of, full of adrenaline, adrenaline. And one of the commentators said this, this is the kind of stuff that makes for a great action movie. But it's the stuff that takes a toll on real people. The malice of Saul. The malice of 3,000 men with Saul. The treachery of the Ziphites constantly betraying David to Saul. Sleeping and eating on the run. If I just go live among the Philistines, then maybe I'll get my first meal. A first regular night of sleep. Maybe I won't be in a cave. Maybe I won't be in a wilderness. The question is, which would you prefer, to have your head chopped off or to be slow roasted on a fire? <laughs> right? I mean, if we, if we choose, if we know we can meet Jesus in a moment, we might choose to just say, okay, y'all, go ahead. Go ahead, Nero, chop off my head. I'll be in the presence of my Lord. But what about the choice of being kind of put on a you know, skillet and the heat gets turned up oh, you know, over time and we just sit there and we're roasted? The fire gets hotter and our limbs wither in the heat. Pressures do not abate. And nothing less than spiritual strength from God himself can help us through this. No wonder we faint at times. Well, finally, I think this is probably important for us to think about. Fainting fits tend to occur when all of the above combine together. David experiences a great victory. David experiences the great weight of responsibility. David's trial is long and drawn out. All of these things are colliding at the same time. And I think this is where David is. He feels all of it at once. It's sort of like I told Mrs. Sumter the other day. Well, when it rains, it pours, right? I want you to consider for a second from a side view here how easy it would be to be critical of somebody who's having a fainting fit rather than to be charitable towards them. It's so easy to be critical. David, you just need to do the next right thing. I can hear myself saying that. David, do the next right thing. Step up to the plate. David, man up. And it's right. That's what he ought to do. But it's kind of simplistic if you think about all the problems this man's having. We need to stop and we need to understand. He's struggling and we need to give him the judgment of charity. If you're going through the worst night of your soul, who would you rather talk to? The guy who says, get up, man up, or the guy who says, sit down, I will sit with you and I will listen and we'll talk about walking later. Which one do you want to talk to? It's so easy to be critical of others. And I think that we need to think about how we talk to ourselves. Um, when we talk to ourselves, I know I'm going to get up. Maybe I feel down. I'm, fa- I'm fainted. I'm down. And what do I do? What do you do? You say to yourself, you're going to get up. And so you're talking yourself into getting up. But I'm a, another person's over here looking at you and he's going, look, she needs to get up. He needs to get up. But you're talking yourself into getting up. And you want them to treat you with kid gloves as you talk yourself into getting up. And so when we are up, it's so easy for us not to do the same to others. We just say, look, you need to man up, bro. 
And the same kids' gloves that we want others to handle towards us, we forget. And what we need to say when we see people down, we need to say, sit down first. Let's talk first. Let's, let's sit there and I'll listen. I'll give you the love first. And then we can talk about putting that right foot in front of the other. And so we need to be very charitable when it comes to seeing people down. Well, let's look at the remedy here really quickly. And I want to leave you with, uh, I hope, a good a good story from Spurgeon. The remedy for fainting fits. What's David doing? Look at verse 1. David said to who? <laughs> to himself. <laughs> who's the one who's sending the poison into his own heart? Well, it's David. David is giving to himself negative self-talk. And if you go back to 1 Samuel 26.10, David is out loud saying to Abishai, as surely as the Lord lives, either God's going to take Saul off the scene, he will die of natural causes or die in a battle. That's all positive stuff. And then we turn right around in verse 1 and he says, now he says to himself, I will what? I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is escape into the land of Philistia. Now, folks, listen, this is so contrary to the promises of God. This is contrary to the, to the, I was fixing to say the apostle, contrary to the prophet Samuel who told him, he anointed him to be the next king. Is contrary to Jonathan, contrary to King Saul himself, contrary to Abigail, his wife. All those guys said you are going to be the next king. Is contrary to all God's providences in his life as God has spared him. Is contrary to the prevailing character that God has built into David. I want you to think about who we're talking about. We're talking about David who's the man of prayer. We're talking about David who's the man of the word of God. And he will not deviate. He will obey it. He won't even touch the king. And he had him in his hands. This is our David who wants to worship God. This is our David who wants to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This is our David who spoke to him some negative self-talk and fell down and fainted in the midst of all the responsibility and the victories and the prolonged trials. He came down the mountain without Jesus. He came down the mountain leaning on his own understanding and his own thoughts and not leaning on the everlasting arms. Well, what's the remedy? Well, the remedy is positive self-talk. That's easy to say. Um, it's talking to yourself. It's doing the reverse of what David was doing. And why is this important? Well, it's important because the, what, what David is telling himself becomes the direction that he takes as, as far as his actions go. And so it all starts with what we say to ourselves. And we all propagandize our own souls. I want you to think about airplanes flying over and dropping leaflets out and dropping them onto the ground of your fertile mind. And your mind takes all those thoughts, all those leaflets, and processes them. I think when I was doing personal trainer work, one of the things that I, and I have all kinds of stories I could tell you, but I think one of the things that I can literally stop and write a little paper about would be people coming in and like, I can tell you one lady, she would come in on Friday and she would always be sleep deprived. She would always be anxious and upset. And finally I said, I said to her, I said, what did you watch last night before you went to bed? And she would tell me. Well, she, and I decided I'd go watch that show myself to see what it was like. And I was going, oh, no wonder she can't sleep. (laughs) 
I mean, your people come in. Why are they so fretful? Why are all the people that are coming to see me in the gym so unhappy? And, and it's because they're listening, what they're listening to. It's what they're watching on TV. It, they're fretting and they're, they're deprived of their sleep and all these things are going on. And, you know, they could come and talk to me and they would pretty much know that I would help them to be happy on the way out the door. We have to redirect what we think about. And you and I are talking to ourselves all the time. This is maybe not something we think about. We do it. We talk to ourselves all the time. And positive self-talk is not just a bunch of psychological trickery. Positive self-talk is found everywhere in the Bible. Let me just give you three examples. In Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan sees a man who's beaten, and it says he felt compassion for the man. And out of the feelings of the compassion he felt for the man, he got up and he went over and he rendered aid. In Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he comes to himself. He comes to his senses and he says to himself, to his own heart, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. He said this in his heart. And then he went and said it to his father. In Psalm 15 too, David asked this question, Lord, who may dwell in your holy hill? And here's the answer. He who speaks the truth in his heart. So you and I, we need to speak the truth in our hearts. We need to formulate truthful and honest statements according to God's word. Proverbs 3, 5 says this. Acknowledge God in all your ways and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your text, in all your emails, in all your Facebooking, in all your conversations, acknowledge God in all your ways. And let his thoughts be the propaganda that dominate your mind. I um, watched Rosaria Butterfield give uh, a lecture. It's always fun, fun to watch her give a lecture because she usually has it all laid out in a notebook. And she's reading the lecture to you. It's always well done. Well, anyway, she's given a lecture at the James Montgomery Boyce lecture on one Friday night. She's talking about how she came out of homosexuality. And so for two years, she read the Bible seven times, and she finally worked up the courage to go to Ken Smith's church. It was an RP, it's an RPCNA church. And so she goes to church for the first time, and this is what struck her. She said after the sermon was over, she was, she was absolutely amazed at how the people in the congregation were immediately taking the sermon and talking about it in their conversations, how they also were always referencing the Word of God as the guiding principle of their hearts and of their minds. And you and I, we need to preach the promises of God to ourselves. And I could tell you, you know, we need to go back, and if, if Lois and Eunice were the ones that taught you the gospel, go back and remind yourself of what they taught you. Tell yourself that Jesus is your mediator. Tell yourself that Jesus is the one who saved you out of sin. Tell yourself that Jesus is the one who crushed the serpent on the head for you. Tell yourself that you've been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Tell yourself that you're adopted in the family of God. You know, sometimes I think I want to shorten this down, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it all to you. I could give you three Ps really quickly, but I think I'm just going to give it all to you. Maybe I need it as much as anybody else. Tell yourself that you're loved by God. Tell yourself that you're protected and provided for and being preserved by God. You're in His hand and no one can snatch you out of it. Tell yourself that you're learning to come down the mountain with Jesus as well as go up the mountain with Jesus. And tell your lost friends, hey, listen, my lost friend, let me tell you what to do. You need to speak to yourself the truth and you need to say to yourself what the 
prodigal son said to his own heart. And you know, when you say, my lost friend, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you know how God receives a person who does that? Do you know how the angels rejoice when they hear a person who does that? God gives them his open arms and God gives them a righteousness of Jesus Christ as a garment. He gives him a ring. He kills a fattened calf and he throws a party. You and I, we need to leave tonight preaching the truth to ourselves. We need to preach promises to ourselves of God. We need to preach the providences of God to ourselves. You need to preach what God has done for you. David, <laughs> David, you killed a lion and a bear and you did it by the power of God. David, do you remember the sling? Do you remember the stone? Do you remember the love of your friend Jonathan? Do you remember how you imagined God might work in your behalf? Do you, do, do you remember that there's times where you don't trace his hand, but you know his heart and you can trust it? You and I need to remember Romans 8.28, that God is at work in all things for our good. Let me end this way. Stop preaching junk to yourself. <laughs> so Spurgeon in that, in that uh, the minister's fainting fits. Now Spurgeon struggled. Spurgeon had uh, trouble with gout. Probably never would have that trouble today, but it was his part of it was his rich, uh, rich in iron diet. He ate lots of protein, and that probably contributed to some of this stuff. But he also suffered what was maybe we could call slow roasting trials for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one day a man came to him, and this man wanted to encourage him, and so he started reading something to him. And while he was reading this uh, paper to him. Spurgeon said he realized that it was his own sermon he had preached a few weeks earlier. <laughs> and isn't that what we do? We stand up and we preach to a friend the right stuff. We tell them what to think. We tell them exactly how it ought to be. And then we go home and we preach junk to ourselves. And we need somebody sometimes to reread to us what we've said to them. Tell yourselves no more junk. Feigning fits are understandable and many times inevitable. And the only remedy is to replace this negative self-talk with positive and biblical self-talk. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time with these dear people. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And may we have these words written in our hearts. Lord, teach us always to propagandize our own hearts with the truth of your word and lord help us if we fall down help us to once again return to saying to ourselves the truth may we may we trust in the family of god to help us along and to give us the judgment of charity to come alongside and to talk to us and encourage us and lord we pray that you will be with us as we leave this place tonight help us to go do your will uh, with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength this week. And we praise you and look forward to many things this week has to offer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.